here, see if I can make this work. Technology. Good. All right, omnipresence. Uh, of God, this is our second attribute. We did the um, self-existence of God last week, slash the importance of belief. Um, why it matters that we believe these things. I'm hoping we can talk a little bit more about that in small groups tonight as well. Um, so that was last week, and tonight is God's omnipresence. God's omnipresence. Oh, sorry. One last quick announcement before I forget. If anybody, a couple of dudes can do some shoveling for Ross. Uh, he's a guy in the church who's got a bad back and whatnot. After equipped tonight sometime, two or three guys at the most to run over to his house. He's lives in town to shovel his driveway or whatever. So if you're interested in that, let me know. We need a couple guys. Okay, sorry. Back to it. Omnipresence. Um, some biblical data. There's a handful of verses here. This is all the top of your sheet. Um, these are the most popular, most turned to passages about the nature of God's uh, omnipresence. First is Jeremiah 23. It says this, Jeremiah 23, verse 23. Excuse me. If you have your Bibles, you can have them. I will have them on the screen too. Uh, God says this in Jeremiah 23, 23. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him? declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. Jeremiah 23, God fills the heaven and the earth. He is a God near and he is a God far away. There is no secret place that you can go to hide yourself from the Lord. Psalm 139, probably the most popular one, most uh, recognizable verse on this. Psalm 139, verse 7. Where shall I go from thy spirit? Or where shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in Sheol, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there thy hand shall lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. Uh, Acts 17, 24 and 27 and 28. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by man. For in him we live and move and have our being. And lastly, 1 Kings 8.27. I have to keep constantly look behind me. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. Will he dwell on the earth? The heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain God. How much less something that we make is uncontainable. So there's a few of the verses. Uh, Psalm 139, I will reference a couple of times uh, more than others. Uh, There is no place that we can go to get away from God. He is in the heavens. He is in Sheol. He is always there. So let's just consider this. I have three basic points tonight. Um, consider what it is to think about God's omnipresence. Omnipresence or omnipresent means God is everywhere, pretty straightforwardly. Omni is basically all or every and present. Presence is present. God is everywhere. He is everywhere present. You could say these are just some pithy statements to put this succinctly. Uh, 
he is equally near to all parts of his universe. He is equally near to all parts of his universe. God is close to everywhere. That's also how you can understand the word present. He's close to everywhere. No matter where we go, there our God will be. Um, I think it was Steve Lawson who made the point he is not just there, but he's fully everywhere in mind and attention. Right? It's not just that he's there somehow. He's there paying attention. <laughs> he made a comment, right? How often are you someplace but not really? And you, 10 minutes pass, and all of a sudden realize what's been going on. Your mind is somewhere else. God is fully present, fully cognizant all the time at every location. Um, I actually, as a thinking about application, you can make a note of this if you want, if you find this true, of the application of this truth and the one that has been coming to the top of my mind is the greatness of understanding God rightly that should increase our awe. Like thinking on the nature of this should, Lord willing, increase our awe of him. It's not, of course, merely just to have an understanding of it, but that it would affect us reflecting on this. Though I think this is uh, extremely hard to comprehend, I think it's perhaps very likely impossible to really comprehend this truth, this aspect about who God is. I have certainly found it that way. Even just the last week, preparing to do some teaching, I realized how little I understand the omnipresence of God, which might sound weird. It's as simple as God's everywhere. wants to understand, right? Uh, it, I think, is rather impossible. Um, we are, however, given truth to believe, and sometimes we're given just enough rope um, of understanding to get ourselves in trouble. So for instance, you can think of this really wrongly. This is how I tend to think of it. I think I have often thought of God's omnipresence as something like um, he's everywhere in the way that gas is everywhere in a room. Gas can be omnipresent in a room, right? It fills, you might say, the entire room is full of gas and we can measure it, whatever. It's everywhere. <clears throat> but that uh, what we mean when we say that, uh, when we think about it, is that different gas molecules are in the room everywhere, right? There's, however, many trillions of gas molecules, individual things that are all together in the room, such that the room is full of a great deal of them. Uh, if you think of God this way in filling the universe, being everywhere, that would be an error, as though part of God is here, part is there, the whole place is filled up with him, right? He just is so big, he's everywhere, he just fills the thing. His sort of arm, you know, metaphorically is here. And on the other side of the universe is another part of God. He fills it. Um, it's not as though that explicit image is in my mind when I think about him being everywhere, but something like that, I think, is often there, at least for me. Uh, nor is he quite like a spirit, as we often maybe think of the word spirit. If a demonic spirit, for instance, to make a, a you know, strange or uncomfortable comparison, but if a demonic spirit possesses someone, as we read about, the spirit is there in that person in a way that it isn't over near the coffee table, right? It's inside of them. The spirit is not omnipresent, even though it does not have a body. It's not uh, uh, material. God is not so like that. That's not what we mean when we say God is spirit. 
all of God is everywhere all of the time. All of God is everywhere all of the time. How can this be? (laughs) How are we to possibly conceive of this in our mind? Maybe you think you got it, uh, perhaps. I don't think I do. How do we conceive of this? Here's my shorter answer. I don't know, and it beats me. (laughs) Receive and believe. This is important, however, as we go forward trying to understand it a bit more. I don't know how to fully conceive of this, but as a Christian, I'm called to receive this teaching of the scriptures and believe it. God is everywhere. I cannot go anywhere that he's not there. So he is not like us in this way. I'm not actually structuring the series this semester by this designation, but you can talk about God's incommunicable attributes and his communicable attributes, his attributes that we share, that he's made us like him. This is not one of them. It's an incommunicable attribute. You aren't everywhere all the time, right? He isn't like us in this way, and so it's very odd. We have no immediate connection to this. And so why would we, with our puny little minds and pathetic little philosophical adventures, expect, in fact, to grasp God fully in this way? Someone once said a while, years back for me, that was very helpful. We ought ought to rather expect not to fully grasp him, lest we end up committing idolatry of a lesser God. You should have an expectation in your mind that you can't fully grasp who God is. That's an important expectation. Otherwise, what you're talking about or thinking about is not God. Fully graspable. He isn't like you. And I think we sometimes foolishly tend to prefer to grasp God, right? It makes it much more comfortable to grasp a God that we can understand and kind of put in our pocket of of theology and we have all the answers. Sometimes mystery and incomprehensibility is a very uncomfortable thing or we, you know, whatever, proud. We want to be able to give the right answer to people. Uh, that said, uh, our God has chosen to say some things, as I mentioned last week. He has revealed himself. The doctrine of revelation is that God has spoken. He says and has communicated things about himself. That's his prerogative. He has chosen to reveal himself in certain ways. And when done in faith, he beckons us to try to understand him. Right? He wants us to. So we can get an understanding, if not comprehensive. So here's maybe a helpful question to, under, to try to get a little bit at understanding what it means that God is everywhere. There's at least one. Is God spatial? Is he spatial? Does God occupy space? Does he have spatial dimensions of some kind? Or is he in within spatial dimensions would be a better way to put that. Is God spatial? Have you ever thought about that before? I think that is the basic idea when we tend to think of God being everywhere. If what comes in your mind is something approaching a gaseous state that fills a room, we're talking about spatial dimensions. I do not know (laughs) the answer to this question. Um, Some think not, and it certainly seems really plausible to me. Um, It gives my sorry little mind a little help in realizing that God isn't like the things he has made. 
right? If he isn't spatial in this way, it helps me. It, it, for some reason, goes, okay, <laughs> we're talking about something different uh, than a spatial being. Here's what William Lane Craig has to say about it. I find this helpful. He's a Christian philosopher. Uh, regarding omniscient, uh, omnipresence, he says, I am inclined to the view that God simply transcends space. In that case, what omnipresence amounts to is that God is cognizant of and causally active at every point in space. That is what omnipresence means in that understanding. It doesn't mean that God is literally in space. God transcends space. But he knows what is happening at every point in space, and he is causally active, meaning he can do things, uh, at every point in space, causing things to happen there and causally sustaining them in existence. So God, on this conception, is a non-spatial, transcendent, infinite mind who is conscious of and active at every point in space. I thought that was helpful. He says that, as you can see at the beginning, he says, I'm inclined towards this. This isn't uh, mandated that you believe that by biblical text, is essentially the reason he says it that way. And we don't really know necessarily. The, comp- the uh, comparison he makes that he has uh, taught elsewhere is his understanding of time. So Lane Craig thinks God is outside of time prior to creation, and then when he creates, he enters into time eternally, and that's a particular understanding. Christian philosophers and stuff disagree on that, and he makes this point here in comparison, saying he doesn't think he enters into space, he transcends it, but is active and cognizant of every point. Whatever the case, the point is clear. God is near, he is close, he is both imminent, meaning near, and transcendent, all at the same time. Right? Which is exactly what Psalm 139 says. If I ascend to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in Sheol, thou art there. God is imminent. God's distance. So, if God is fully present everywhere, always, this is, there's other questions, obviously, you can ask, and I'm encouraging to do so, obviously, in small groups. This is the one that occurs to a lot of writers that I read on this, or almost all of them, I should say, and to me, is that if you reflect on that truth, that God is present everywhere, always, why does it sometimes feel or seem far away. Yeah, I won't, but you know, I'd be curious to know, I guess, if I were to ask to raise of hands as, as I just go through the basic truths that God is everywhere, who in your mind think, but it doesn't seem like it. I don't feel like God is always near me, next to me, right? I'd be curious to know. It certainly occurs to me pretty immediately, that, that experience. Um, the psalmist expresses this uh, experience well. Psalm, oh, did I go past it? Did put this one here. Psalm ten one says this. Maybe I put him out of order. Psalm ten verse one. Just listen. Uh, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you not? Uh, why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? That's the psalmist. Um, asking of the Lord, this uh, omnipresent God. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? What happened to God being near and always at every point? 
Uh, why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? So that's the psalmist's uh, answer. I would encourage reading the rest of Psalm 10. is helpful to answering that itself. Here's two broad reasons, I think, why the psalmist expresses what we also experience. This obviously uh, is an experience of Christians, of many. Here's two broad reasons why the psalmist expresses uh, that sometimes it seems or feels as though God is not, in fact, present. One is that his presence is a moral thing, not a spatial thing. Our felt distance, or God's felt distance, is a moral distance, not a spatial distance. Uh, A.W. Tozer says this, The reason that he feels distant is that in spiritual things, closeness and likeness are the same thing. Remoteness means dissimilarity. God is remote because there is a dissimilarity between moral characters, his and ours. The reason is that in spiritual things, closeness and likeness, feeling God's feeling of closeness, his imminence, his closeness and likeness are the same thing. Remoteness means dissimilarity. God is remote because there is a dissimilarity between moral characters. I think that's absolutely right. Listen to um, the same principle, same kind of thing in Psalm 18, 26. It says this, 18, 26, quote, With the purified, you show yourself pure. God reveals himself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. <laughs> with the crooked, you make yourself, God makes himself seem uh, tortuous, Eight, Psalm eighteen twenty six. Isn't that interesting? Basically, the reason, the point is, the crooked hate God. Of course, they hate God. They are so very morally different. And pure light to a sinner is tortuous. God makes himself seem awful to a sinner, to a, uh, the crooked. Obviously, likewise, in our own sins, the principle, it seems obvious to me, uh, our sin that clings closely, still, we may sometimes or even often feel that God is distant. He is distant in those times, just not spatially distant. He's distant in the way in we should, which we understand God being near or far to us, which is morally. So that's one reason why we might feel God being distant. Um, or far away, is that the distance is a moral distance, not a spatial distance. It's required that it's that, <laughs> or something extremely close to that, um, because God is everywhere. Uh, second, second reason why it feels like perhaps he is far away, distant sometimes, is that God can and does manifest himself to us in different ways, at different times, for different reasons. He manifests himself differently, different times, in different ways, for different reasons. God has reasons. He manifested himself in a burning bush to Moses, right? You could ask, well, what's going on? Isn't God everywhere? Why would he uh, do that? God's not in the bush. He's also right next to Moses. What's going on here? Well, he manifested himself in a unique way to communicate and interact with Moses in a way that he doesn't always do. I don't normally see burning bushes. 
Uh, he manifested himself in tongues of fire at Pentecost. He's everywhere present, isn't he? Yes. He manifests himself in a particular way. He withdrew his presence from Job in order to test him and eventually restore him. He made himself seem distant to Joseph in prison for similar reasons. Him manifesting or removing his felt presence may or may not be because of our sin. In Job's case, it wasn't, for instance. But it is always for divine and perfectly loving and wise reasons. So when he removes himself, it may be because of your sin, right? He may remove his presence, and I think often does in a certain way, to your awareness, to our feeling, our spiritual sensitivity to his presence for the purpose that you might seek and desire it again. It's a hard but a good grace that God does. You feel terribly dry. He wants you to feel that way that you might seek his face, right? But whatever the case is, whatever his reasons are, they're good and right and wise because he is God. By definition, they're good reasons. So whether that's sinful or for other purposes, that's uh, the second reason why I think God can sometimes feel distance or far away. God manifests or withdraws himself to our experience. Uh, point number three. Trees are not God. Uh, God is everywhere present, but he is not the things he is present with or in. God is everywhere, but he isn't those things, even though he is in those things, right? He is, in fact, in the middle of a tree, you could say, because he is everywhere. <laughs> He's fully, all of God is everywhere all of the time. He's in a tree in a rock. In other words, there are things that are not God, namely everything he made. This is a different belief about reality than a view like, for instance, pantheism. Pantheism is the idea that all things are God and God is all things. It's more or less essentially atheism with a, a tux on, a cheap tuxedo. Uh, somewhat similar in certain ways anyways, vaguely similar. A view like animism. A view of animism says that all things have a spiritual essence. Uh, according to Harvey Graham, a dude that I found on Wikipedia, he says this, animism encompasses uh, the beliefs that all material phenomena have agency, that there exists no hard and fast distinction between the spiritual and physical or material world, and that soul or spirit or sentience exists not only in humans, but also in other animals, plants, rocks, geographic figures, such as mountains or rivers or other entities of the natural environment, water sprites, vegetation, deities, tree sprites, etc. That's a different view of reality. <laughs> uh, it's a different view of God, in other words. God is everywhere, but he isn't those things. Those things are not God or God's. And so, for instance, when you believe in something like animism, I just use it as an illustration, um, God is, he might be the trees or is in the trees in such a way that cutting them down is hurting or killing them. When you do that, you give yourself to foolish idolatry, right? So beliefs actually have consequences. If you believe God is those things, then it becomes a problem. I have a short video. Um, I don't know if Josh has seen this, apparently. <laughs> uh, can you click that? I don't know if I can do it. Uh, this is what happens when you believe things like that. 
Uh, I'm not playing this for the purpose of mocking them, by the way. Even though you may be tempted to laugh, that's not necessarily wrong. It's not mocking. Consider what's going on here. Sorry. ...of American nature. Trees, I've seen, she said. And tell them that we love them and that we don't want them to die. That there are some people here who do care. So I want you to know that, trees. Praying to the trees. That we care. I think we are deeply hurting in America. I think we are deeply craving answers. I think that we've lost our identity as we have evolved into technology and into industrialized society. Bring me to this cathedral. Bring me to those guys. Bring me to this rock that has the most incredible life. That makes me feel alive. Oh, actually, keep going. There's one second. Forest, and I felt outraged, but I didn't scream and I didn't cry. And I need to. So she's praying to the trees, right? Um, there's actually a fair bit of that, that second gal that you could agree with, right? We've lost our way and we're confused and uh, whatever she said, I can't recall. Uh, agreed. Um, but when you believe a certain thing about the nature of God and the nature of what the trees are, you pray to them, that's what can happen. That might be, seem like an extreme example, right? People s- circling around trees in the forest screaming uh, their anger that the tree died, right? The tree wasn't cut down. It was, you know, murdered by somebody. And you should be, feel very, very upset about that. So the Bible teaches that though God is near and in all things, those things aren't God. That's actually an influential group, by the way, Earth First. Or at least uh, sort of influential. So in other words, we can toss a rock into the mud uh, without tossing God, right? Seems like a simple statement. We can chop down a tree and make a safe and comfortable uh, house or a beautiful table without chopping God or ripping off God's bark, right? God is near the tree, but he is not the tree. We are called to be, we as, uh, as his image bearers, are called to be good stewards of that which is not God, while God is present in all of it. So when you believe wrongly about what reality is, in other words, you act in foolish, unloving, and unproductive ways. That's what that is. You might, you know, the word crazy comes to mind. They look absolutely insane. And I do think it is insane in the most technical sense of the word. Or maybe not technical, but (laughs) it looks insane. Uh, More importantly, it's foolish uh, doing that. Uh, It's unloving. You are not loving other people, screaming at uh, and praying to the trees and screaming and being angry the tree was chopped down. And it is unproductive. It's not the same thing as rejecting uh, a biblical environmentalism. And being a good steward, responsible, those are important, very uh, uh, obvious duties of the Christian. But that's unproductive, that's unloving, and it's foolish. 
that leads towards all sorts of crazy, unloving things. So it matters. Uh, final thoughts. In trying to understand and believe the truth of God, being always close, always present, we must also remember who he is, not merely that he's omnipresent, though I think it matters. It definitely matters. But the most important aspect of our God, who is everywhere, is who he is who is everywhere. Right? He has decisively and most importantly revealed himself through his Son. So the gospel is the defining lens by which we are to understand God and therefore follow him. And so when we're talking about, I mean, what comes to my mind, I'm not going to show this. I considered showing a a video uh, talking about the various attributes of God, um, including omnipresence. They can be true and they can be affirmed um, by a lot of diverse people. You can affirm and and pray to an omnipresent God. Um, This is... You know, if you pay attention to the inaugural stuff or prayers lately, the uh, opening of the prayers of the con- uh, Congress, they're praying to um, to the the uh, how do I put it? The monotheistic God, Brahman, and all of the gods known by different names, a different faith, uh, or to our collective in the name of our collective faith was what was prayed at the inauguration today. I think is that in the name of instead of Jesus or something, uh, our collective faith, right? Um, there was a guy, if you watch the, uh, the, uh, the Capitol riot, or the Capitol break-in, whatever, there was a guy, I don't know if you saw, saw this, the guy with the buffalo head, poor guy, his face is everywhere. He has uh, fox things hanging down his thing, and his buffalo horns coming out, and he's got paint, American flag painting his face. Anybody see this guy? Well, anybody see him? He prayed when they were in the Senate chambers. He prayed, he made a prayer, and there was guys on his left and his right going like this, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. They're praying like that. And this guy is not a Christian. He's a shaman. He practices shamanism. He thinks he's an interdimensional being who can communicate and do these things. You know, he's all over the map. Anything but a Christian. But I have a guess that some of the guys around him were professing Christians. It's just a guess. But they're up there praying. And he prayed to God. He prayed like a 60-second prayer. And he prayed to God, right? And he listed some of these qualities. He listed omnipresence, in fact, is what caught my attention. Like, oh, huh. He believes God's omnipresent in this chamber, right? Interesting. Not praying to the same God, because the central understanding that we have, the most important one, is the lens of the cross. It's the gospel. The um, take a, if someone slaps you in the face, you turn the other cheek also. Uh, You suffer for your enemies. You die for your enemies. You lay your life down for others. This is what Jesus did. He it is who is present everywhere. Put it simply. That's who we're talking about. So as you think about talking about this with other people, as you think about growing and understanding, it is Jesus who is everywhere. Uh, two closing um, applications. Uh, one, obviously one thing this does uh, when we think about this, growing and understanding, beyond um, growing and simply the awe of knowing God well, right? We want to love what we know about him. Um, clearly one thing it does is it's uh, convicting, of course. <laughs> I think God does so to, to his children kindly, but it's a convicting thing. He's always present when we sin. He's always there. He always sees. So we are being foolish when we sin, thinking no one is watching. God always sees. I think only when we ignore this, it's necessary to ignore it, try to pretend he doesn't, do we have the opportunity to act in, 
in such a way that we wouldn't act in public when other people see us. Right? So it's convicting, rightly so, and helpfully so. Um, it's also, of course, comforting. He is always with us. This truth fills in with great comforting color the truth of God's sovereignty, which we're talking about next week. Franchuk's coming to preach, which I'm really excited for. It fills in with color God's sovereignty, meaning that not only is God in control, he is sovereign or has absolute rights over all things, he has all power, he is in control in such a way that he is present with us in his sovereignty. He's with us, right? He's not just up on high with a, uh, the CEO and just, you know, and computer software making sure everything is happening the way he wants to. He's with us. He's high and lifted up above the heavens, reigning and ruling, and also imminent. He's near and accessible. It is the lie that we are ever truly alone that can give rise to deep loneliness. And whatever uh, our speculation, I think it would be right to say, comes to regarding God being spatial or not, as helpful and as enjoyable as it can, should be, I think, can be, we are, uh, we should, of course, conclude that there is no place to which God's knowledge and power do not extend. He is in all ways that matter to your heart, mind, soul, and strength, always near to us. Um, Let me say a word of prayer for us before we break into some small groups and talk about this. Actually, before we take a few moments to consider small group discussion questions. Um, let me say a word of prayer. And then, Amos, if you bring uh, another handout, if you wouldn't mind. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you now for these truths. We pray um, and ask that you would now continue to give us wisdom and insight and that you would awaken our souls to love you more, to understand you more. So bless this time now for us, Father. I pray you would help us to exhort, to teach one another. Um, Lord, that we would come to know you more. So, Father, we thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm going to take a few minutes. I want you to, by yourself, have some private...